gun Ramos looking like he's got one more good run Sips a little shaky But his heart is still true Oh how that dog loves hunting with me and you Sporting dog adventures run The Sporting Dog Adventures podcast is proudly brought to you by Soggy Acres Retrievers. Remember, everyone deserves a soggy dog. Hello, dog lovers, and welcome to the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast, your one stop for all things dogs. I am Jeff Fuller. I have the kennel Soggy Acres Retrievers. And we had the hit TV show, Sporting Dog Adventures, that was on for nine seasons. Found myself in need of creating some content, so we started the podcast. I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. I hope you share it with your friends. Hope you come back and listen every time we put up an episode. We try to put up at least two a week, and uh, this will be our first for this week. So this week, I figured a good thing to talk about would be puppies. We just sent a litter of puppies home. And it is, I guess, one of the most fun days of a kennel owner is when you send puppies home. It is when all that reward comes where you see people's beaming faces, you see their families excited, and everyone is happy because they have a dream. Everyone has that dream of owning a dog when they're looking for a puppy. And that dream, it can be anything from the dream that sits on the couch next to you and watches TV, rides in the truck next to you shotgun, or performs out in the field on a hunt, and even possibly running competition and getting some ribbons. So it is one of the days that is the most fun when you're in dog breeding. That's go home day. We had a litter of fox red Labrador retriever puppies go home. There were eight of them. Uh, We actually kept one for our kennel program. And they they went to uh, seven very, very happy families that uh, then we, of course, get the proverbial emails uh, throughout the next week. Uh, How do I potty train again? Uh, Why is my puppy biting so much? And what do I feed them? So there's always a little bit of follow-up when puppies go home. But I wanted to talk about what's most important, which is when you're trying to find a puppy. I guess it would be picking that puppy and how to go about that. What people don't understand is it's a misnomer that you can just get a hunting dog uh, breed uh, puppy from from a uh, hunting breed, and that for this dog will be able to perform. You have to look at these puppies, not as just the puppy, but look at generations and past, and that's through a pedigree. Through the pedigree, you're going to see titles. Uh, in front of the name, you'll see FC, AFC, HRCH. On back of the title, you'll see MH, SH. Um, you'll see QAA. These are titles that are going to show that the parents not only were talented dogs, but accomplished things in the field and proofed it. So you want to find a pedigree that has a lot of these talents and a lot of these, uh, a lot of these titles so that you know that you are getting a good puppy. Now, could you just go down to your local pound and get a hunting breed and, and adopt it and have it hunt? Absolutely. I'm not saying you couldn't, but look at it as hedging your bet. The cheapest 
part of the equation of owning a dog is the purchase price. So hedge your bet by spending your money up front so that you are getting what you need. Now, again, it doesn't just come down to pedigree. It just doesn't come down to, to, to breed. There's a lot of things through this, but first start with your pedigree and find a breeder that is putting out solid pedigrees with lots of titled parents. In our, in our kennel side, Gakers Retrievers, we do not run our females in competition, but our females will always be uh, bred from uh, a titled sire at minimum. Uh, what I do is we place our, our females in homes and they live with family. So the good thing for us is at that point, I can tell people with a straight face that yes, this is a good house dog. And that's important because to me, a dog needs to be a good quality pet because 99.99% of its life, that's what they do. They're not hunting. But then you want to have that switch where they turn it on and they're like a rocket ship in the field. So you're going, you're going to find pedigree. Then you're going to talk to the breeder. You want to make sure that they breed for temperament. And how I would go about that is I would just ask people, what is your breeding philosophy? What do you breed for? If they say I breed for yellow, black, or chocolate labs, I would run the other direction because obviously they don't understand that you're looking for their philosophy and, and they probably don't even have one. The dog breeding world is full of people that decide that it is easy money and it is awesome and I'm going to get into it. And within about five years, they're all out of it. It is something that you can, you can make a good living doing, but you also have years that are just cataclysmic. Uh, you have uh, litters that, that, that could just break you as a business. And it's, it's like anything else. It is a business. So if you're not running it properly, if you're not putting in the time and really busting your butt, that's why you see people get in and out. So find someone that has a good philosophy, a good breeding philosophy. I tell people that we breed for temperament first. And then we put a great pedigree on our puppies so that they can do anything from being a wonderful pet to hunting to running hunt tests. I don't ever talk about dogs that can run field trials. When you talk about field trials, that is like Major League Baseball. And do we have litters that can accomplish that? Yes, but that's not my expertise and not what we're putting out. Again, those dogs are a level above your hunt test dogs in many ways. So you want to make sure that you're talking uh, to the person about what they breed for so that they are putting out what is going to ultimately be a success for you in your home. So now we've got the pedigree, we've got the breeding philosophy. <clears throat> the number one most important thing is health guarantee. All puppies are cute. Realize all puppies are cute. They've got floppy ears, they've got four chubby legs, they've got a funny little, uh, a cute little tail that wags back and forth. You want to make sure that your kennel is doing a uh, genetic tests uh, in Labrador Retrievers, it's exercise-induced collapse and canine neuromyopathy. These are genetic issues that we can test for and we can breed out of our lines. We've done that with our kennel. Some kennels only test one of the parents. Find someone that's testing both genetically because you want to make sure you're getting a genetically clean dog, a genetically healthy dog. With animal breeding, it is always a catch-22. You're never going to be perfect 100% of the time because they're animals. So you want to make sure that the kennel you're working with is doing their due diligence on the front end and then has a very fair health guarantee. When I got involved in breeding animals and breeding uh, Labrador Retrievers, 
the health guarantee that was very common was if there's something wrong with your puppy, like it has a dysplastic hip or bad elbow um, or something inherent to, inherently wrong with their eyes that you cover, uh, people would say, well, that's fine. We'll give you a replacement puppy. Just bring that puppy back. So then you would ask the people, wow, okay, well, what do you do with the dog? Well, we either place them in a home or we put them down. This is a dog that's lived in your house for two years. You're going, my God, this is my best friend. This is my buddy. I'm not going to give it to somebody that might actually put the dog down because it's got a, a, a limp. I mean, I'll, I'll live with the dog. I'll Again, they're playing on emotion. It's not a real health guarantee. You want to find someone that has a real health guarantee, which is like buying a vehicle, buying a product that has a warranty. You want to make sure that they are going to give you a replacement puppy, that they would let you keep the puppy if it's spayed or neutered, because obviously you wouldn't want a bad trait passed on, and that that would be the minimum that you're going to get. You have different lengths of guarantees for hips and elbows. You're looking at 26 months or 30 months. Reason for that is that is when you can actually test for those uh, uh, test for for with, through the Orthopedic Foundation of Animals for hip dysplasia and elbow dysplasia. They have to be two years old. So you want your health guarantee to stretch past that point. Uh, for eyes. The normal health guarantee is 14 months because that's the first time you can take your dog to a canine ophthalmologist and, and get them looked at 12 months. So again, you get an extra couple of months leeway. Do most people get dogs tested? You know, I really, I probably think maybe 50% do, maybe 25% do. Most people don't test stuff unless there's an issue. Um, so you want to, but, but with that said, you do want to make sure that you have it so that if your dog does have an issue, there is a recourse, which would be getting a replacement puppy because I, I dare say that, dare not say that the puppy is defective. The puppy just has a health issue and that's a health issue that should be covered by a legitimate business. So <clears throat> as you look at that, you've got your pedigree, you've got your breeding philosophy and you've got your health guarantee. Now, if you can try to set up a visit to go see their property. You can learn a lot about any business if you go and see how they keep their property because this is going to show the pride they have in their product, which is their business. If it is a property that you look around at and go, this looks like a, a terrible place for a dog to live, I know the reaction is I'm going to rescue these dogs, but also realize they haven't done the work on the front end more than likely. So you're best off to just walk away. You're best off not to give these people money because you are perpetuating the problem if you buy from someone that should not be in the business. In the state of Wisconsin, we are licensed through uh, the Department of Agriculture. If you would find someone that had a business like that, you can absolutely let the state know. Make sure, I mean, be fair. You, you don't want to point out, you know, that someone had a, a muddy yard. Uh, but you can tell if, if, if kennels are not cleaned, if the dogs don't look healthy. Again, don't buy a puppy from someone like this because you're perpetuating the problem and supporting uh, their, their, dare I say, abuse uh, of dogs in the dog world. So find a good, reputable breeder that has a good business. If you can go to their business, walk around, check it out. With COVID-19 and with other issues, you may not be able to go into their kennel. Um, as of right now, we don't let people in our kennel. I absolutely let people look in. Our kennels are bleached and pine salt twice a day. They're incredibly professional. They both have their separate septic systems. But you want to make sure that you can see around the property, view in the kennels, meet some of the dogs, and that will give you a, a chance to also talk 
in a more relaxed atmosphere to the person. Again, about breeding philosophy against what they breed for, what their dogs perform, what their strengths are, so that you can get a better feel on if this is someone that you want to do business with. Now, if you find all of that, the last thing comes down to timing, and this is the, the least important. People get caught up in wanting something now. And again, this is when we make mistakes. Don't just buy a puppy because they have a puppy. Your good kennels are going to be sold out probably for four to six months where you put, you put a deposit down and then they let you know when they have a litter that is born that has a puppy for you and then, and then give you a take-home date. With COVID-19, I can say that I've never seen the dog world this busy. Uh, you have animal shelters that are completely out of dogs. Uh, some of them were even talking about breeding dogs, which makes you question the whole adopt, don't shop when they're trying to breed dogs, I guess, to sell them. But I digress. It's a different topic for a different day. Um, but we have one litter that just went home. We have four more litters due yet in 2020. They're all sold. We're now taking deposits for 2021 litters for uh, litters in winter into spring. So keep that in mind. Don't be impulsive where you need one now. Find someone you want to do business with first that has a good pedigree on their dog and a great health guarantee. And then from there, get yourself set so that you got some, uh, so that you have some uh, idea on timing and you can put a deposit down and you're going to be very happy with the product that a good professional kennel puts out. So that will be it for today on picking a puppy. We'll have more on this topic in the near future, but I just wanted to give people some tips because we still are getting a lot of calls and I thought it would be a good one to talk about. I hope you guys have a great day. God bless. This part of the podcast is brought to you proudly by Mech Outdoors. Hey, this is the training portion of our podcast and I wanted to talk about teaching a dog to quarter. Quartering is when a dog runs back and forth in front of you while you're upland hunting. It is something that most dogs will naturally do. And as a person that's going to handle and train the dog, we can accentuate that so that the dogs will do it even better. The concept is getting the dogs to stand range and to run back and forth so that they will find birds not just right in front of you, uh, but to the right and to the left of you, but also be within gun range. So you need to set your range on how far the dog is going to get out before you recall them, and you're going to want to keep that under 15 yards. Reason being, if a dog is out at 15 yards and they get on a scent and they charge and go fast like dogs do, you're going to then be probably at about 25 yards when that bird comes up. Now you got to pull up and shoot the bird. So the bird's probably gained another 5 to 10 yards, so you're right at your maximum effective range on a shotgun, which is around 40 yards. Having the birds closer is even better because it gives you more chance to get yourself up and get ready and make a good shot. But you want to keep your dog in range so that you're not putting yourself in that position where the bird is out of range. Now, when you're working with your dog, find, you can find yourself a large field, have the dog out in front of you, and work with them. And when they get out too far, you call them back in with a hear command or a recall. And you then tell them, hunt it up when they get back into range. I will walk like a zigzag down the field, back and forth, back and forth, where I am going left and right because the dog is trying to stay in front of me. So that works out awesome because you're teaching quartering while you 
somewhat quarter yourself and also letting the dog know that it is okay for them to be out in front of you. I will go from a mode field, which would be like a park or a schoolyard. Um, I've got obviously places here at my own property that we do this. And then I would go to where you have more grass. I would let the dog go. I would play with them, let them have fun, and just let them know how far they can venture out in front of me while we're going for our fun walk. Then you're going to start putting out either scented bumpers. Uh, we use Conquest scents on our bumpers. Or you're going to put out uh, frozen birds or dead birds. I don't start with live birds right away. But you're going to put these birds out and you're going to think of it as you're walking a straight line down a field and you're going to put the birds to the right and to the left so that, again, as you're moving and quartering, the dog is following in front of you on its zigzag pattern and it's finding birds not just right out in front of you, but to the right and left of you. So it's teaching them and giving them a reward so that they are going to be more apt to want a quarter. Finally, you get to the point where you're going to put birds out. I like to put out birds that have their wings clipped so that the, the dogs have uh, time to learn how to chase and to track. And that will really help you once you uh, get in the field where the birds just don't flush automatically because they're in a, a certain area that has to where they have to come up. But it teaches them also if the bird is knocked down and winged so that the dog can track and follow the bird, whether you're in upland or waterfall. So these are great tips to use during the summer while you're getting your dogs ready for upland. Remember also, it's hot, work with them early, short duration, and make sure they have a lot of water. I'm going to talk later on this year about using a second person for training, but also for once you hit the field. Hope you guys enjoy this training tip. Now for the sponsor. This portion of the podcast is proudly brought to you by Boucher Automotive in Janesville, Wisconsin. And the last portion of our podcast today is going to be shooting tips. Wing shooting is here. Well, almost. We're like five weeks away until teal season comes in Wisconsin. Uh, the number one thing I am telling my kids, and we're going to do it this year because we don't have the TV show and I'm not as busy, is practice, practice, practice. We actually have two mech clay pigeon throwers at our uh, hunting property. And we're going to go up there this weekend. And we are going to start with straightaway shots and move to quartering shots and then move to shots where the bird goes up and then comes back at us just like they would in hunting. And get ourselves so that we are ready to not let the dog down this year. I can say that if I go sporting clay shooting or even shooting off my own machines, I actually hit less than when I hit birds. And what I will start try to do is instead of starting with the gun at my shoulder and saying pull, I actually act like I'm hunting. I do better that way because it's a full fluid motion like I'm used to throughout my whole life where I will say pull and then I will pull the gun up, shoulder it, and shoot in a full motion just like I do uh, when I'm out hunting. I honestly hit probably 25 to 30% more pigeons that way than if I'm actually standing where I'm ready. I think about it too much. So it is a good practice. And if you're good the other way, you should really try it where your gun is down because it's not 
factual or it's not not how hunting goes that you already have your gun at your shoulder when the bird comes up either so i try to do both this year i'm going to practice so that maybe i can go to a sporting clays course and not embarrass myself with uh, some buddies but again keep in mind that you should try both have the gun at the low uh safe ready pull up when you say pull like you like a bird flushed and then also work with the gun on the shoulder my biggest thing I do is I think too much and I start to try to shoot the pigeon and that's when I miss. I can always tell when I miss as well because I usually am looking for the pigeon to break because I'm looking over the barrel which means my cheek's not down and I'm not down on the uh, the end bead on the barrel so I'm shooting over uh, my, my target. So those are my hunting tips here for today. A little bit of shooting tips. I hope you guys get out and practice. We're in July. September 1st is our first season. Let's practice up so that our dogs don't give us that disgusted look when we miss. Hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Take care. Sporting dog adventures run, boy, run. Everything you need is here under the sun. Everything you need is here under the sun.